This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located in 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. on Friday the 13th. It's a time known in the occult as 13 o'clock. A kind of witching hour that bestows an awesome power. The ability to stop time and have everything you want for one hour. There's just one small requirement. Evil events from evil causes spring. It's a date with death. When the clock strikes terror, it's time for Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, time waits for no one. And time does wait for nobody. Thank you for tuning in to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series and the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. I like the way that guy ends every promo with like a, an extra little like um, line of dialogue for, connected to the episode, you know? I love it. I love it. I, I think, isn't that a Don LaFontaine? The famous voiceover actor? I believe it is. It does sound like him. It was. It had been bothering me for several weeks, and I think somebody had made a made a mention about that on one of the Friday the Thirteenth TV series uh, group pages. So that that is probably one hundred percent accurate. We are going to be covering tonight episodes nine and ten of Friday the Thirteenth the TV series, and starting with episode nine, the Thirteenth Hour. Or 13, Thir- thirteen o'clock. Thirteen o'clock. Okay, and you, Mr. Zeneca, has the episode synopsis. And all the other information for us. <laughs> okay. 13 o'clock. Originally aired January 2nd, 1989. Ryan, Mickey, and Jack track down an antique pocket watch that allows its owner to freeze time. Ba-ba. What would you do if you could freeze time? Oh, no contest. I'd rob a bank. Because <laughs> they're insured. Because <laughs> they're insured, right? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the the banks are insured. If I could pop in, pop out, no worries. The bank's going to get recouped by the government, as they always do. And I have now, uh, you know, my pockets are richer. The uh, when when people rob banks, um, and I don't know if this happens in real life, but in movies they throw that line in there saying, "We're not here to rob you. We're robbing the bank. Your money is insured." It is. Like it's a federal, saying, uh, a... the FDIC insured, so everyone's bank accounts uh, are completely safe. Yeah. So it is up to the federal government to reimburse everyone's account for the money taken. What they're trying to say is, don't be a hero, you're going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. you're it's not going to lose mo- any of your money, your money's going to be perfectly fine, but you're going to lose your life if you try and be a hero. Exactly. Money can be replaced, people cannot. This episode was written and directed by um, Rob uh, Hedden, who I, we have talked about before, as he is the writer of Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Ooh, yes. Uh, he was also the director of Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> um, so he has... Uh, he is a, the, one of the uh, few people... That has also wor- worked on a Friday the 13th uh, movie as well. Uh, let me know when the motorcycle stop. Uh, he also directed a movie I think I've mentioned before as well called Clock Stoppers, which I actually found to be kind of fun. It was written by him, but directed by Jason um, Jonathan Franks, uh, best known as uh, William Riker on Star Trek The Next Generation. And the reason I bring that up is because it was just announced... Sir, Patrick Stewart is returning to play Jean-Luc Picard 
in an upcoming Ooh. episode of Star Trek Destiny, I think it's the, the, the current show, whatever the current show is, I don't know how they're going to do that, considering that takes place long before Picard's even born. It actually takes place before Kirk is born. So this is, by the so way, the a show... a time travel thing going on? It, it's going to be a time travel thing, because they also announced a the third actor to ever play Mr. Spock is going to be on the show, not counting any of the kids who've played Spock's in his younger self. But uh, he's going to be a young cadet to Starfleet. This is going to be his... Uh, first mission aboard, uh, aboard a Starfleet vessel. Okay, so there has to be some sort of time travel element of this. Not necessarily, because again, as I said, this show, uh, I think it's, again, it's called Destiny, They it takes place bef- after Enterprise and before Kirk. So after Jonathan Archer's show, mm-hmm. which stars mm-hmm. Scott Bakula, and before Kirk becomes captain of the Enterprise, in fact, Captain Pike is going to be on the show coming up. But wait a minute, isn't Picard... Uh, that's, his timeline after That's Kirk's what I said. Timeline? Card's not even born yet at this point. Yeah. Neither is Kirk. Or if he is, if Kirk has been born, he's only a child. So that's what I mean. Picard will be involved in probably time travel in some way, but not Spock, because Spock is okay. going to be a young cadet. And Vulcans okay. live for a few hundred years. Alright, alright. Well, I am happy to see Picard back on the air. And if we're led to believe everything, don't forget, this Spock is the same Spock that would eventually become uh, Leonard Nimoy and then get trapped in the Kelvin universe, which is the new Star Trek movie timeline, and Mm -hmm. he would die between the events of Star Trek uh, Into Darkness and uh, Beyond. Hmm. Because in Star Trek Beyond... The Vulcan High Castle comes to young Spock, the new Spock, and tells him that Ambassador Spock has died. And they handled it very well in the movie, by the way. If anyone is a big Star Trek fan, I saw that with a couple Star Trek fans, and we got choked up when they handled the death of Leonard Nimoy within the context of the Star Trek universe very well. Mm -hmm. Like, Spock had his moment of, like, grief, you know, it's... Yeah. Somebody that he, it, it it it's not somebody he looks up to. This person is him, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it, 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 it's him from another timeline. It's a, you know, it, it, getting into the quantum mechanics of time travel. I mean, it's him. So he feels, you know, it, it, Vulcans don't feel emotion, but he really felt something in those scenes. Learning Leonard Nimoy's character, Mister Spock, the original Spock, has died, you know, mm. and then later on he he opens up to it about it to McCoy when they're alone. You know, letting him know that Ambassador Spock has died. And McCoy's like, oh, I'm sorry, Spock. I know how much he meant to you, considering he was you. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah. getting on to a tangent, the only reason okay. I brought it up is because Clockstop is directed by Jonathan Frank. So, uh, one of the actors in the movie, by the way, okay, we can't get away from Star Trek, and I'm not even trying, but the <laughs> female in this episode, Retha Wilkerson, is played by Gwynth Walsh, and she was in Star Trek Generations. In fact, she played one of the Klingons in that. And she was the same Klingon who was on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And she was on Stargate. <laughs> She's currently appearing on Van Helsing, which is currently on the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> there's, oh, wow. There's a couple of Klingon super hot chicks that have appeared in Star Trek Universe uh, called B- Bator. Uh, they're mm-hmm. usually known for being like really big women with giant pectoral muscles in all the right places, if you get my meaning. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they're in several episodes of like Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek The Next Generation, and then uh, they get blown the shit out of by the Enterprise in Star Trek Generations. <laughs> oh, wow, with that, yeah. Like one of those famous one words, fire, and then <laughs> boom! <laughs> Yeah, she's been in a lot of Star Trek stuff, like The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, like, you you will recognize her face if you're a Star Trek fan. And then we got David Provell, uh, who, uh, who in this episode played uh, Eric. He has been in uh, The Phantom, Shawshank Redemption, and uh, currently still working. He's got, like, six things in post-production right now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like, but I, I have to say, to be honest, every time I see his face... I recognize him from the first thing I saw him in, which is Weird Al Yankovic's UHF. You know, him picking the staples out of his face is just a scene that I, I 
I can't get out of my head whenever I see this actor. It is hilarious. I love him. And we have Ingrid Veniger uh, coming back. Uh, we last saw her as the oh, ugly sister. The compact. The in, episode with the compact, yeah, right? Yeah, in Vanity Mirror, which, by the way, looking ahead at the schedule, the compact will return in season two. Ba, ba, ba. Yes. So yeah. expect. Uh, I think it's the first episode to have a big connection to a previous episode from a previous season. Um, not counting like season premiere, season finale kind of stuff. That doesn't count. Those are always usually connected. But for a show that's pretty much self-contained per episodes, mm-hmm. this is a a big thing for them to have. You know, this is before we had like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or The Flash, or Supergirl, where every episode's connected. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Very little actually connects episode to episode on this grander, you know, storyline. And so we will get to meet uh, the return of her sister later on this season, right around the time we're going to be introduced to uh, Johnny. Okay. So we're going to be introduced to Johnny. And then we also have Jason Hopley, uh, who... Well, getting too deep into his IMDb, he was recently in The Thing. The not the I want to call it a remake, but it's it is a prequel to the original John Carpenter's The Thing, and he's in a bunch of stuff I've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, he is a good kid in the in the episode, though. Correct. All right. You, so why don't we get on with the episode since okay. we've gone through the entire IMDb list all <laughs> and, right, and all waxing right. nostalgically about Star Trek, which we will never cover. <laughs> but it's going to keep coming up because Paramount owns Friday the 13th and they own Star Trek. So it's inevitable we're going to talk about Star Trek, people. Get used to it. <laughs> it it's, it's all, you know, just you know, relationships to Kevin Bacon here. You work, no? Yeah, you work for Paramount. <laughs> guess what? You're going to be on Star Trek at some point. <laughs> I don't care if you were Friday the 13th or not. You're going to be on Star Trek at some point in your career. So Now, I, I must... I must state here, before we actually start into this episode, for all of those, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't actually watched the episode, I insist that you do watch the episode because this one was Emmy-nominated for visual effects. Really? Uh, Yes, it was Emmy-nominated for visual effects because of how the, uh, when the the, uh, pocket watch time stops, everything goes black and white, and then... uh, the uh, person that's controlling the pocket watch is in color, and so each of those frames were hand-colored in a rotoscoping style, frame by frame, in order to get this effect, and that was revolutionary back in the day, in 1989. So they won an Emmy for that work. So I would insist anyone to actually watch this episode just to see this visual effect for the first time. Hmm. Well, we open up with this... uh uh, people boarding a subway, as and as entertaining as that is, we switch over to uh, our uh, returning cast member Ingrid and her boyfriend and some kids hot wiring a soda machine to steal some sodas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just uh, homeless kids uh, knowing the tricks. Basically, uh, jazz singer is killed by the guy from the train immediately, um, and we. We do a lot of scene switching uh, in the very beginning of this episode uh, before we kind of get the idea of what's happening. One thing that I did notice about that first uh, killing yeah. with the sidewalk musician is that the hand that he uses to kill the musician with doesn't have a glove on it, but the other hand does. Ah. So he, he uses the he, his ungloved hand, the one that just murdered someone, to reach in and grab the pocket watch, so you see the close-up of his bare hand with the pocket watch in it, but then his other hand has a leather glove on it. It's just kind of weird. Retha Wilkerson, uh, who, w- again, is played by the um, uh, Bator from Star Trek, the, the Klingon. Mm-hmm. Let's just call her the Klingon. The entire episode, we'll call her the Klingon. Uh, <laughs> who dresses like a hooker, um, which isn't too far off from when she dresses like a, uh, a gladiatorial hooker of the Klingon order um, on Star Trek. I'm probably being too generous or too mean. Take your pick. She's kind of like a, a sugar... She's got like a sugar Sh- daddy? Yeah, she's considered what is called a sugar baby. Yes. Although they are married, so there is some sort of you know relationship trophy wife there. But the relationship and how they portray it on this episode is that a sugar daddy and a sugar baby. Sugar daddy gives gifts, provides security, provides money, and sugar baby is supposed to provide love and support in a very sexual way. And it is obvious from their interaction here that she loves being the sugar baby in the giving of the gifts, but not so much in the giving of affection. 
Yeah, yeah that's part of the and, deal. Uh, her sugar daddy is all like, "Call me daddy, call me daddy." Oh Ew. yeah, yeah. They totally like she's the little princess, and you know, there's this, uh, you know, hey daddy, you know, it, it's it's very, uh, I mean, it is one of those very common kink titles to call someone daddy. I think you know. that relates right up there to terrible, terrible, terrible daddy issues. Or daddy bad touch. It's it's a common thing. I, you know, oh, but I, I, it's a common thing. But from everyone I've talked to, a lot of people I've talked to who who really enjoy that, it comes from bad daddy touch. Daddy yeah. used to touch. Daddy used oh, to come into my bedroom, and now I have daddy problems. Or daddy abandoned me as a child. Or daddy was never around, and now I have daddy issues. I would say about 75% of people on Earth have daddy issues of some sort. It's just very common. Um, but as for, like, like, calling someone daddy, like, it also depends for on if someone is calling someone daddy and they're role-playing uh, a little, meaning they're role-playing someone that's, you know, less than 10 years old. Yeah. You know, and they're calling daddy in that very nurturing type of way, daddy, daddy. Um, or you can call daddy as in, like, Big Daddy, such as, you know, someone that's tough and looking out after you. And that's, you know, calling someone Big Daddy isn't really um, incestuous feeling or it's more protector. Mm. So that Daddy is the protector element, even though there is a sexual element as well. It's one of those kinks that, that bleed over into a lot of different things. Not everyone that calls someone Daddy has a Daddy issue. But I agree with you that there is a lot of that just naturally, so it t- tends to go in that direction. I, I dated a girl uh, years ago. She had a father in hospice care, and then she lost her dad. Uh, it was like the inevitable was coming. Yeah. And uh, a couple times when we were, like, getting it on, let's just say that, uh, mm-hmm. she said, um, you know, we were getting to the kinky talk or whatever, she asked me if I wanted her to call me daddy. It's <laughs> <was> like... <laughs> God, no! I literally said it like that and having to remind her in the middle of our, you know, quiz getting to that you just lost your father. (laughs) It completely ruins the moment. It completely ruins the evening and it completely pisses her off. But it's like, it's like, it's like I kind of needed to bring that up. You know what I mean? I mean, it has to be comfortable for both people. You know, if it's and not comfortable for you, then you don't do it. Yeah, no, she was pissed at me. She was really angry. She got over yeah. it very quickly, but she, you know, she was not happy or whatever that I ruined the mood bringing up her dead dad. And it's like, you just asked me if you wanted, if I wanted you to call me daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't like being called mommy, you yeah. know. No. Very rarely do people ever want to call me mommy, but, it, you know, it has occasionally happened. Now, the one thing I'm curious about this uh, pocket watch is if it can do this. If I could turn back time, if I could find a Do you think you could do that? <laughs> no, yeah, do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in this episode, the way the pocket watch works is that, um, you know, a little history on the pocket watch is that it was a pocket watch that was um, a subway worker's, and it was given to Lewis, you know, sold pond to Lewis. And then he bought it back a year later, and Lewis added this little bonus curse to the pocket watch, which will give him an hour to do whatever he wants. You know, to stick it to the man. So it's very, very specific to this one subway station that it has to be activated at. And, uh, you know, at uh, 1 o'clock, it turns into 13 o'clock. And so for an hour, you've got, you know, you could do whatever you want. I want to call the latchkey kids uh, the newsies from hell. Oh, yeah, the homeless crew? And Ryan saves that dumb bitch Ingrid once again. (laughs) 
No great wait a minute, you no gratitude. Look, you, you, wait a minute, you look familiar. Where have <laughs> I seen you? Oh yeah, diving off a building with your sister's boyfriend. <laughs> but bonus, her skin did clear up. Oh yeah, she looks actually beautiful in this episode compared to the last one where she had the nastiest looking hair, the ugliest looking prom dress, and the worst acne I've ever seen since I had acne when I was a teenager. Um, but yeah, she, uh, she wow, you know what? I, I forgot, this actress is extremely beautiful. She is. She is. <laughs> um, even for a homeless girl, she's very beautiful. That's not to say homeless people can't be beautiful, so I don't want to hear any comments. Yeah, no, she's she's a pretty girl, and she lives in the, you know, subway area. You know, they're not really specific where in the subway, but uh, uh, subway area with her brother, Johnny O. Now, I'm going to say that I think this is the only episode of the series, and the only one we've covered so far, that has to do with the subway system uh, being a big part of it. it. Reminds me of Clive Barker's Midnight Meat Train, which is the only movie I can think of that has, I'm sorry, the only horror movie I can think of that has a subway train system as a big part of the film. And I'm not talking oh. about a minor part. I'm not talking like Doc Ock's battle with Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2. That's one scene yeah. in the movie, but the Midnight Meat Train was the entire film. Most huh. of the it was a, a, a entire film. It was a big setting in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Had to keep going back there. Um, Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock was one scene. Superman stopping the train in Superman Four is one scene. But this was, uh, you know, th they have to keep coming back to the subway in this episode, and they have to keep doing that in the Midnight Meat Train. And it's the only two I can think of off the top of my head that it keeps happening, other than. There's an episode of the X-Files, uh, there's two episodes of the X-Files where Mulder is trying to track down an alien as usual, and at the end of the episode he gets caught in a train that has a bomb and an alien aboard it, and Scully finds out that's not a that's not an alien, it's a smallpox patient, and if the bomb blows him up, it's going to release smallpox all over the West Coast. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's no, definitely that's, not a, that's not an alien, that's a smallpox uh, patient <laughs> that's been imbued with radiation, so it's going to kill a whole bunch of people if it gets out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and the, in this episode, the sugar baby has a very abusive, Klingon. almost pimp-like boyfriend. She's a Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> we refer to her as the Klingon, not the sugar baby. Oh, well, okay. The, the Klingon. The Klingon, very beautiful woman. Uh, yeah, she's got this pimp-like boyfriend who just keeps, you know, wanting her to pawn off her presents and uh, give him the money because he's got uh, some sort of legal issue happening. Uh, some old lady is in the hospital, and if she survives, then he will go to prison because of what she knows and has witnessed. Yeah, before they figure out what it is that's causing their problems in this episode there's the mention of another artifact that we never see, the Chalice of Sackman. Yeah. We never we never get that one. We never see it, but Jack does get it and puts it in the vault. Mm-hmm. So it's another one of the objects that we don't have an episode focus around that Jack's yeah. able to obtain. Obviously, with nobody dying and nothing involving the police or anybody having to get, you know, like... Yeah, you know, yeah. Sometimes the objects do voluntarily come back. Well, they they the person who has them hasn't used it basically. Well, remember, just like with the um the landscaping mulcher, mulcher, that's it. The mulcher. The mulcher was owned by this old guy and he never even thought it was a cursed object until a very shady guy and assistant started, you know, working with him. So some of these objects might not be triggered by the person that bought it simply because they're good people and you know the person is going to voluntarily relinquish oh yeah you want that mulcher yeah it's right over there you want to pay me two hundred dollars sure you know and uh and there's mentions like occasionally of the postcards or the mailers that they send out to try to get these objects back you know and and occasionally we get these throwaway lines where it's like yeah there's a new object has come in and been put in the vault now the other um, the the, uh, the name of the episode is also in relation to the to one of the names that they wanted to name the show. Thirteen o'clock. Uh, the thirteenth hour. Thirteenth hour, yeah. Yeah, they wanted to call the Friday the Thirteenth the Thirteenth Hour, but they decided to go with Friday the Thirteenth, and we've already explained why. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Ryan and Mickey follow the girl. They learn that they're homeless. After Ryan is saved, they discover that the stopwatch is the object in question. Um, Ryan and Mickey and Jack take in the, uh, the, the, the brother and sister, right? Yes. Brother and sister. Um, and Mickey fixes up the, uh, Ingrid, um, mm-hmm. from, uh, uh, the compact girl to make her look more, uh, more presentable. Yeah, and to, uh, bind her wounds and stuff like that. What's funny, so. this is also the first time I believe we've ever seen the kitchen of Curious Goods. Actually, no, we saw it once... Uh, in a different episode, the same episode where Ryan uh, Ryan has the softball and he ho- and he keeps the softball in a drawer in the kitchen. So oh. we do actually see that. Okay. Well, we seem to see it more now in this episode than we did in that one. Oh yeah, definitely. It's 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 very typical of especially children who are homeless because they're basically uh, used for uh, for objects of uh, sickening sexual desire. Let's just say. Yeah. Um, there's honestly, there's no reason for them to chuck to to that. There's no reason for them to trust the Curious Goods crew, which is, by the way, what uh, Elise Wax calls them every time she writes about them in her episode synopsis in the uh, Friday the Thirteenth book. Oh yeah, Curious Goods crew. The Curious Goods crew, which is just an easier way instead of just naming all three of them. Um, especially when they're all together. Uh, when uh-huh. individual, she names them individually, but in the book, when they're all together, she always calls them the Curious Goods crew. There's no reason for the kids to trust them, but they make a point. They just want to help. That's it. And those obviously those kids have probably been uh, lured into stuff. that Hopefully they, they've never had anything happen to them in the context of the fiction of the show, but they obviously have reasons to distrust adults. So, oh yes, yes. Um, I don't know how old these kids are supposed to be because clearly the actress who plays uh, the sister is much you older. Know, she, yeah, she she's in her twenties, but I think the kids are supposed to be something like sixteen, seventeen. Okay, gotcha. By the way, did you see the type of shirt Ryan is wearing? I I wanted to figure that out. I did not take notes on his shirt. Okay, so we need to um, we need to put the spotlight on John LeMay, if he ever comes on the show, and ask mm-hmm. him, the God honest truth, did you ever steal any of those shirts from the set? Because <laughs> you have, like, the most unique wardrobe out of anybody ever. Um, I'm half expecting him to, to see him start, to, to, to see him wear a... Uh, 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 hungry, not hungry like the moon. What What's the name of the shirt? Is it Duran Duran? Yeah, uh, hungry like the wolf. Okay, yeah, but in Thor the uh, Ragnarok, Banner is given Tony Stark's clothes because it's the only clothes aboard the Quinjet. And yeah, he's got like an '80s. I think it's a Duran Duran T-shirt he's got on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I half expect Ryan to wear that outfit that Bruce Banner wears when he's walking around Sakaar. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it would be pretty stylish for the time, 1989, you know? Uh, yeah, and, uh, I mean, we, and we know that Tony plays, uh, 80s rock music. Yeah, all the time. All, all the time, because, I mean, he, he basically is a child of the 80s. Now, Dr. Chris, do you ha- own a pocket watch? I do. I own two. I own a Deadpool pocket watch, and I own a, uh, Masters pocket watch of Doctor Who, the the Time Lord Ooh. Master. Ooh, does it glow green? Uh, it does glow in the dark, actually. I, I do need to put new batteries in it. I think the batteries have died. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, it is, uh, it is... Okay, I'm looking at it right now, by the way, the, uh... Yeah, it is Hungry Like the Wolf. Yeah. In 1982's Duran Duran album Rio, uh, which among its singles include the monster hit Hungry Like a Wolf. Guess what happens later? And then, of course, they have to point out what happens later on in the movie with Bruce Banner and a wolf. Or rather, the Hulk and a wolf. Mm -hmm. Right? He kills Hela's giant wolf uh, pet. Yeah. Foreshadowing. (laughs) The clues are there. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get that. I saw the t-shirt. I knew it was Duran Duran, but I was just like... Oh, I wonder what I wonder what the T-shirt is giving us other than Tony Lightning. Well, out of all the movie, all the Thor movies, Ragnarok is the best one. It is, but it's completely defeated on its plotline by the time Infinity War comes out. Yeah, totally. Because half the stuff that Taiki Watiki set up is completely like almost thrown out the window, which is like okay, 
what was the and everyone's blown up and killed and you know. I, I, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Yes, I'm going to be buying it in two weeks. Now, I want to point out: Have you ever seen? You're about you. By the way, happy birthday, Mr. Zeneca. You just oh, thank you, thank you. I just turned forty. You just turned forty, and you don't look forty, by the way. No, I look like maybe thirty-two. You look like maybe that. thirty-five, thirty. Yes. <laughs> so thirty-two is between thirty and thirty-five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're only a couple years older than me, and I know for a fact that this video had a bit older than me when I saw it when I was in the first grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, the fourth grade is when I first saw this video. Have you ever seen the dangers of the railroad track video with the brother and sister playing on the railroad track while they're drunk and they get hit? And, like, the brother dies, and the sister is, like, goes to visit her brother's grave. At the end of the video, she has, like, a PSA about the dangers of playing on the railroad track. And the Isn't fu- that, like, standard in every, like, elementary school? Yeah, but this was, like, a, this was, like, a freaking uh, short film. This was, like, a legit short film. And then, like, the firemen would come out and tell you, okay, just let everyone know. They're both still alive. Those are actors. They... You know, they did their yeah. part. They had lunch. They went home. They're They're leading great lives. So anyone worried... But we wanted to show you the graphic nature. I mean, they didn't show us the kid getting murdered, but they did show the brother and sister going into the ER covered in blood, and the, and the brother was a little bit more roughed up than the sister, you know. And we're showing this to kids in the fourth grade in the 1980s, mind you, early 90s maybe. So well, that that was also the era of like scare straight and uh, you know dare programs, things to try to scare a kid into trying to behave well. Or to avoid dangers. So, you know, seeing a a car auto instructable video with blood on the highway, like that's that was kind of normal uh, then. True. So my big question about this, um, the MacGuffin in the episode, is if you don't kill, then you get frozen. You know, that was kind of unclear. I thought it would just like not work, but instead it like throws reverse. So now that for the hour, I suppose. The two other people, um, the Klingon and ha. her boyfriend, become frozen. And then they uh, die. And then, but people are walking around and things. But they're so not. What, they're not. Fro- I mean, they're not dead. But they're frozen forever. I think it may be just an hour. Oh. But even so, that's like a whole hullabaloo with a, a busy subway station and like these two people frozen. Like that would be amazing news. Like weird, wacky news. Right, right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, that part, that part, I didn't understand. So Jack, uh, the the Curious Stewards <laughs> crew help the kids out, set them on their way. Uh, then their car is towed away. The 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 side plot line is the car isn't working the entire episode, which a car. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, the Mercedes, the Mercedes is in the shop. Be, it's got to be expensive to repair. Let me tell you. They are. And they in, really are. And in, and in, in a uh, and in a upcoming episode, Ryan's asked for five thousand dollars to buy back uh, a cursed object, and he and that that's a lot of money. It's going to be like five thousand dollars to repair that Mercedes. Sometimes maybe. I would say so. I mean, Mercedes they have a very very high repair value, like repair cost. Yeah. I had a, a friend with a Mercedes that always broke down and. Had to be sold because it was just too much of a time and uh, money money pit. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we're gonna take a quick break in between these two episodes. Um, well, wait a minute! I didn't I didn't get to tell you my my pocket watch. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I I've got a really cool one. I want to tell. I want to talk about it. All okay. Right, all right, go ahead. So my pocket watch is a Neil Gaiman autographed pocket watch from the Sandman series. Wow. It has the the raven on it, and it was one of those promotional items for the Sandman. I think it's like 25th anniversary, something like that. And uh, I got him to sign it, so it is in my display case at my house, along with my other Neil Gaiman and Dave McKeon autographed items. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. It's a really cool one. I, I love it. Um, so You should take a picture of that and put it up on the uh, Dead TV podcast. On the fa- yeah, the Facebook page tonight. Uh, that yeah, recorded sure. us on Sunday. We, uh, I, my pocket watch is not nearly as interesting as that because um, it's, I mean, it's made of metal and it is very nice and it's very sturdy. But I think that has a, uh, that sounds a lot cooler than the one I have. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I am very proud of that pocket watch. 
On Friday the 13th, you'll race wheel to wheel with a real speed demon. And the next finish line you cross will surely be your last. He was driving the dead guy's car. The engine of destruction is here. Maybe it drove itself. Your destination, the highway to hell. <laughs> There's a dead end ahead on Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, drive like the devil. And we're back to the Dead TV podcast. And we have episode 10, Night Hunger. Night Hunger. Uh, originally aired January 9th, 1989. A hot rod racer uses a cursed necklace to win events by killing his competition and dipping the chain in his victim's blood. Interesting episode opening with like a flashback to something I thought was a little disjointed until we actually got into the episode, but I feel <laughs> I still feel like it was a bit disjointed how they presented it to us, maybe? A little. Like, it makes up for it because it goes through those clips very quickly, but it, like, starts off in black and white at a Little League game and then goes interspersed uh, with images of the our main featured player, uh, Mikey. Mike. Mikey. Uh, different than Mickey, but Mikey. Yeah. Played in, by in his car. Rich, played by Richard Pana... Pana... Bianca... Beyonce... Ugh. Pan B I A N C O. I can't pronounce it. Uh, Pan Bianco. Yeah. Uh, no longer working. Kind of drops off the map in 1997 after two episodes of NYPD Blue. Yeah, didn't have a long career. No, he was on the he, uh, most famous thing he was in was probably Born on the Fourth of July. Which is yeah, Tom, as Joey Walsh. As the that's the Tom Cruise. Uh, I think that's a Vietnam veteran movie. Yes, yes, yes. I've never seen that movie because I've heard it is incredibly depressing. That is the reason why I haven't seen it. <laughs> My girlfriend can't watch Logan. Uh, oh, because it's too depressing? There is some, I mean, I've heard a lot of people can't handle Logan mainly because of the PTSD or how Patrick Stewart portrays Charles Xavier in that movie. Yeah. A lot of people have had relatives that are like, you know, Patrick Stewart. and. It's- very difficult. He is nothing. I am. I, I am saying this not offensively, so I don't want to hear about it. But I, I have to say the way I'm thinking it and the way I feel it. Charles Xavier, Professor X in that movie, is nothing but a problem. And if you think about what happened to him and what he did to all the mutants, he is nothing but a problem. And that's how they wrote it. And for him to be put down like the way he was by that psychotic clone of Wolverine. And then Eric Lasala's entire family to be wiped out the same way was horrific. It was. I mean, was. Jason Voorhees wouldn't even have done that. He goes yeah. after. He wouldn't have gone after the entire family. Maybe Michael Myers, but I honestly, just the way that whole scene plays out, Patrick Stewart is nothing but a problem to be put down in that movie because of how they wrote him with his psychic powers going nuts. Yeah, he he's basically going into almost a uh, a form of mutant gem- dementia. Yeah, and he, where he's just broadcasting as you know his brain is broadcasting and, and causing all sorts of chaos. Yeah, and what's funny is that the actor who played Deacon in this episode was also in Born on the Fourth of July. The one that plays Deacon, his name is Real Andrews. Yeah, he's also in Born on the Fourth of July. Um, he was also the stunt coordinator in. Uh, three of the Police Academy movies and has been on several episodes of Days of Our Lives, The Bay, All My oh, Children. He is, he is totally, totally a uh, soap opera hunk. You know, he's in Days of Our Lives, All of Our Children, General Hospital, As the World Turns. Like, he's, he's hit them all, man. Yeah, some show called Night Heat, which I barely remember. Uh, Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yep, but only one episode of Friday the Thirteenth. Only one episode of Friday the Thirteenth, and then we have um, the we have uh, 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 Elliot Smith who plays the father. No, Elliot Smith plays Dead Boy. The person that plays the father is Nick Nichols. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, well, uh, uh, Elliot Smith would come back la- uh, for another episode in season three called Spirit of Television, but he's mostly a composer actually. He's he's a longtime composer, having worked on. Uh, most recently, Mr. Robot. Interesting, interesting. I didn't know that. Also worked on The Blacklist, 13 Reasons Why, Rick and Morty, uh, American Pie, a uh, couple of the American Pie movies. 
and uh, the video game series Guitar Hero. Nice. Wait yeah. a minute. So he Elliot Smith. Oh, uh, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Elliot Smith, Elliot Smith. No, no, he's... Elliot Smith, who was in this episode, is a music composer. Yes, I know. And if it's the same Elliot Smith I'm thinking of, then he had uh, several albums, and he died by a stab wound. Recently, because he just did Mr. Robot. Yeah. Well, you you got to remember that with musicians, oh, if their okay. their work is used posthumously, oh, they still God. get that credit okay, for that yeah. year. I I I scrolled up before I even saw that. Okay, my bad. Yeah, I, because he was made famous. Emily Smith was made famous for like Goodwill Hunting. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just saw that. I scrolled up too fast and I didn't see it. He, God, he died at the age of 34. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm 38 years old. I'm my time's already passed. <laughs> no, he was an excellent. His music, his music has this dreamlike sadness to it. I mean, I own uh, a couple of his albums, and it is just amazing the sound of his voice. But anyway, uh, Nick Nichols is actually the father, and he was on Babar. Uh, but he was also in a previous episode of Friday the Thirteenth, uh, Pipe Dream. Because everybody was on Babar, including... Uh, yeah, I know. And we Chris, make including, jokes. of course, Chris Wiggins. <laughs> we make jokes about that all the time. We but should he just was do in, Babar, then. <laughs> no, we're <laughs> never going to do Babar. Um, but I'll play the Babar theme music at the very end of Friday the 13th uh, <laughs> in honor of Chris Wiggins, because he passed away. So uh, we switch over to um, the... Uh, by the way, I need to point out something about this baseball game. It's in black and white. It's the black children versus the white children baseball game. I didn't write the episode, folks. I'm just pointing out what I, what I saw. And now, I saw. Now, I didn't notice the other I le- saw, little league. I saw a either a baseman or an outfielder, and the pitcher were both black. And all the other kids behind the fence with, uh, with dear old dad were all white. But, in all fairness, at the time they were probably kids was 20 years ago prior to the events of this episode. So that would make a lot of sense. Eh, 60s. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But. Yeah, but I just I just thought that was funny. We have a black and white flashback, and it's a black versus white baseball team. But one of the things that is mentioned in this episode, because this episode features um, a father-son relationship that has been ruined by the father trying to toughen up his boy. And he used the you know, black pitcher um, uh, character, Deacon, uh, as a kid, like in this Little League game specifically, to, uh, you know, tell him, uh, show me, let's see, what's he say? Uh, show me, show me, I can't even read my writing. But basically the, the father says, uh, why can't my kid make me proud? And that type of, type of information coming from your dad, I mean, that, is heartbreaking. And this entire episode is filled with flashbacks of his father being verbally abusive to him and putting him down and comparing him to this deacon boy as like the deacon boy was the end-all be-all of kids. And uh, the father is a drag racer and so the son wanted to be a drag racer and then deacon becomes a drag racer. So it, it's, it's like this whole episode is the main character, uh, Mike, Mikey, uh, not being able to stand up to the expectations of his father. It's very sad, especially because at the very end of the episode, they both die. Yeah, this is not one of those happier ending episodes, but didn't you think the entire time that it was the car that was possessed, it was going to be like Christine or the car or my killer of the car or something? I, th- I, I honestly thought it was the key, because as they showed it, when he dips the key in the blood of the person that he just hit and run, it, it kind of does this little flash glow thing. So I thought it was the key. Oh, but, I, I didn't see that. I thought it was the car. Yeah, no, he, he like presses the key onto the face with the blood, you know, in for the first victim, uh, and it kind of glow flashes. And so I thought it was the key this whole time. But turns out the key was given to him by his father, and it's the chain, the silver chain that Lou, Uncle Lewis gave him because oh. they were neighbors. That's, and uh, that's you know, Uncle Lewis took a liking to this kid. Oh, so it, it, I'm sorry, but that's like the lamest, stupidest thing ever. The chain, 
to chain. tie it into not, the car. Not the I mean, there's like no reason to tie it, in, tie it into the car with the, you know what I mean? And make it like this well, street racing thing. That chain has nothing to do with an automobile whatsoever. Now, if but you let, me, let me put a rationalization here. Uh, okay. Okay. So, in our previous episode, a pocket watch that was not cursed was given to Lewis, and then the curse was put onto it upon giving it back. In this episode, uh, there's a blank key that Lewis is trying to piggyback onto it, this, you know, precious emotional attachment thing, and gives the chain to enhance it, so therefore adding the curse. So, he kind of twisted the object of what is actually cursed, but I, I do think that the addition of the chain and the addition of the curse onto the key really made the key itself cursed. Uh, there's this really interesting scene towards the end of the episode where uh, Mikey uh, crashes, and uh, he crashes with one of the uh, corpses, <laughs> one of the victims that he just uh, hit, and the chain and the key kind of delve into his heart and kind of get, get sucked into the body wound, this very kind of grotesque body horror gore thing. And then the chain itself gets wrapped up around his heart. So what I was confused about in this episode is, is the chain Uncle Lewis himself taking over Mikey's body in some roundabout way, or is this chain... Uh, possessing him, and therefore now that the chain is possessing him, he can control the car remotely. That's still the stupidest thing in the world to have a to be cursed. A chain. I mean, everything else makes sense. And I, I was even like, "What the f about the wood chipper?" But a chain. Yeah. What's it, next? Uh, uh, a, a thumb, a, a, a thumbtack, and if you don't pin up someone's picture and they don't die, then you're dead. I, it's what? <laughs> a refrigerator. If you don't hang a, a child's uh, uh, artwork on the refrigerator so they can die and the curse can be appeased, then oh, then you're dead. And what the hell? Yeah, I, I definitely think the choice of having the chain be the cursed object instead of like the car or the key. But I don't know. I, I think maybe the key itself was cursed through the addition of the chain. It does have a kind of a videodrome kind of feel to it. It does, it does. Yeah, that body uh, horror. This episode, the Cronenberg body horror. With it, yeah, the body uh, horror stuff. Yeah, and then the last bit of the episode is is basically just the the car is now moving on its own because the chain is wrapped around Mike's heart and therefore he can control it remotely. Yeah. And it's and it starts acting kind of like Christine and. Yeah. Um, did you also notice that they're apparently having a clearance sale? Business is booming. They must. Yeah. The the, the shop is just overwhelmed with people buying non cursed objects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. They got to make money somehow, and uh, apparently they had this very huge day. And so I'm going to yeah. assume that it was Dominic towing their car away in the previous episode because he has a garage right next door. He has there. the auto body shop, he yeah. He has the auto body shop, so maybe he was the guy towing the car over because it was uh, kaput. That's a good possibility. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mikey gets a new car. Dominic visits Jack about his son, and they have a heart-to-heart. -heart. I'm surprised Jack doesn't bring up anything about his own son. Never. No. At all. Like, did they forget that Jack has a son? And I don't want to believe... I'm not going to believe in the context of the show. It's too painful because this is a guy coming to Jack for about being a father and not being a good father to his son. You know, Jack lost his boy, and he was a clearly a good father, so maybe he could, like, bestow some wisdom and advice on him? But it's never mentioned. I'm going to put it up to the writers forgot Jack had a son. Yeah, fair, fair enough. By Fair the way, um, I have a little piece of trivia information from a previous guest of the show um, who I actually asked to come back on the show tonight because he is the writer of this episode. Mm -hmm. And Henshaw, what's that trivia? Jim Henshaw wrote the episode. Uh, we forgot to cover this right in the beginning. Uh, but the episode was directed by Martin Lavout, who was the... Uh, he, he was involved in a very famous 80s uh, rock and roll anime movie called Heavy Metal. Ah. Yes. 
Uh, everything else he's done is inconsequential. He directed an episode of The Twilight Zone, but uh, Heavy Metals is his biggest claim to fame. But, um, uh, hold on a second. Here it is. Uh, Jim, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it due to a flight delay. He was going to be trapped in the Pacific. Uh, but he said, uh, I'm going to have to pass, but I'll give you a piece of trivia about the episode you can use. The original cursed object was a St. Christopher medal, but in prep, good taste finally prevailed when it was decided the devil shouldn't be able to curse a religious object. Those fundamentalists who condemned us never realized whose side we were really on. Interesting. Cool. Cool. Yeah, he said that they had to change it at the last minute and probably... Uh, I don't know how that would have worked with a car. That you didn't explain that part, but if it, it, it probably possessed him more than anything else. Correct. Um, but uh, I think Jim has agreed to know uh, to come back on when we get to the. Uh, I think it's the season finale, right? Because him and Tom McLaughlin are heavily involved in the season finale, season premiere, when they do the transition from the new cast, old cast to the new cast characters. Well, Excellent. cast. I said cast, but. One character leaves and one character joins the show permanent full time. Wonderful, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to have him on sometime uh, relatively soon. Also, I'm trying to get another one, another director from Friday the Thirteenth the series to come on the show. Uh, so I won't announce his name or anything until he says yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we're trying to get more guests on the show, folks. And we should also look to the next time we record. Um, we're actually going to be we're actually recording this episode for anyone interested on the fifth of August, and then the next episode that we're going to be recording uh, will also be later tonight on the fifth of August, fifth of August, and released on the tenth and the seventeenth of Friday. Uh, the next time we're back in the studio together will be the nineteenth, because next weekend I will be at four different events: one, Boston Comic Con, my brother's bachelor party. My high school 20th anniversary uh, reunion, my brother's wedding, and then back to the Boston Comic Con. One of those I'm not attending. <laughs> you are overbooked, man. I am not attending my high school reunion. To hell with that. I am going to go to the Boston Comic Con on Friday and Sunday. Sunday with Woo-hoo! my girlfriend. Friday night after Comic Con, I'm going to go to my brother's bachelor party. Saturday is the wedding. And then, hey, I don't have to do anything with the wedding. I just have to show up, give a toast have some food, and then leave. So I actually able to relax before I have to go back to Comic-Con on Sunday. So when we come back in the studio on the 19th, I'll have a story about Comic-Con or two. Maybe I won't have any interview for the show. There's nobody coming to Comic-Con that had anything to do with the show. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe I can propose a question to Dan DiDio because they publish DC Comics and they're owned by Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers owns... You know, something yeah. to do with this. I don't know how Friday the 13th, the TV series, works with the lawsuit or anything like that, but it's worth mentioning. Um, if I can have, like, an actual conversation with him and not at a Q&A, uh, where I have 100,000 people staring at me asking a stupid question. Long story short, we will try and have a guest for maybe the 19th recording, which is then that episode will come out on the 24th of August. So we should look to find out what episodes we're recording about for the 19th and look into what talent we can... Mikey and Deacon race. After Mikey is found in the hospital and his dad comes to visit him, Mikey is going basically off the deep end. Now, for those that don't know, uh, drag racing... Uh, Seems you to know, be happening right it, behind you every five minutes. I know, I know. I, I swear. Um, so drag racing, you put up or shut up in a drag race. So you're either betting your car on your ability to win or you're betting some sort of large amount of money or a favor, something like that. And uh, so Mike keeps winning these drag races and keeps winning these cars and using these cars. So Mike keeps winning cars and using these cars to win more races until the point is that... um, he wants to finally race Deacon. Deacon is like the head guy. He's the fast run, uh, you know, fastest drag racer. And so he keeps winning these cars all along down the road. So by the end of the episode, I think, what did he acquire? Like three cars or two cars and a, and a half, maybe. He promises a car back and then doesn't give it back and kills the guy. In this episode, we have a total of uh, three people dead for the curse itself, and then Dominic, uh, the father, and Mike, 
die together in a head-on collision. So it's about five deaths in this entire episode. Oh, how many people died in the previous one? 13 o'clock. Uh, 13 o'clock, we have a total of five deaths. Okay. Um, yeah. What song is being played during the race? I didn't make a note of that. I couldn't figure it out either. And I couldn't mm. find any trivia online about what the song was. If you happen to know what the song is, leave Let us know. Because it's not on IMDb, and it's not in Lisa's book either. So, Yeah. Um, I didn't see it in the credits, but I didn't pay that close attention to the end of the credits just to see. I'm looking at IMDb right now just in case they have to plug the uh, you know song you know in the credits. Um, and I don't see anything. I don't know. It, it doesn't say. So if you happen to know what the song is being played at the end of the episode, maybe we can ask... Uh, uh, you know, Jim sometime if he ever comes on, or, you know, if we ever get a hold of, uh, I just want to see if he's still alive before I happen to mention his name. Mm -hmm. uh, Fred Molin is still alive. If we can ever get him on the show, that'd be great. He hasn't worked since 2011, so I don't know uh, what his current state of health is. He's had a long yeah. career going back to the, uh, you know, mid-70s, so I don't know what his age is. Uh, it doesn't list a birth date either. But the music composer for Friday the 13th, the series, uh, worked on several of the Friday the 13th movies as well, um, as well as uh, Beverly Hills 90210, Forever Night, um, The Odyssey, uh, Beyond Reality. and uh, But, uh, yeah, he was the composer for a lot of the episodes for this show. Well, and, you know, in my and, research for this episode... And War I, of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my research for this episode... I did not find any car-related key hauntings or cursed objects, that type of thing. But I do have a little story of a cursed car. You know, it's a race car. James Dean's Porsche uh, 550 Spider, which he called the Little Bastard. That is definitely a cursed vehicle, and it is still on the loose. Oh. Uh, yeah, yes. That, uh, we, we talked about that... Um... Did we bring that up yet on Supernatural Creatures and Lore? I remember mentioning it on Supernatural Creatures and Lore. It may have been this podcast. I mentioned, uh, I think it was to you. I said something about uh, the wax. Oh, that's right, the Wax Museum with Paris Hilton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the the god was using uh, objects that people worship, and it became uh, Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, Little Bastard, and Paris Hilton. Yeah, yeah. The um, the car itself has this long history after the uh, death of James Dean in the car, his friend George Barris took the remains of the car and sold parts out to other people. The engine and drivetrain went to two doctors who entered cars carrying the parts into the same race in Pomona, California. During the race, both cars crashed horribly and one of the doctors was killed. Uh, then he took... Uh, he he started. Uh, George Barry started to believe in the curse, and then gave the car to the highway patrol. They attempted to just have it as a display piece, uh, and then it fell down. It, it uh, was displayed in a garage, and it the garage burned down, leaving only the car remaining in the debris, the smoldering debris, just the car remaining. Then it was uh, attempted to be displayed at a high school. And then it broke free from the truck hauling it and caused another fatal accident. The California Highway Patrol moved it yet again to another high school where the car broke, or the car fell and broke a, a student's hip. Again, while in transit, the spider fell off of its trailer three times, crushing a truck driver and uh, injured another uh, two people when they attempted to break into the car to steal a steering wheel and the blood-stained seats. And then finally, the California Highway Patrol had enough of it and attempted to return the wreckage of the car from, uh, from where it was trying to be displayed uh, back over to George Barris, but it vanished mysteriously off the bed of a flatbed truck, and it hasn't been seen since. Oh, wow. Ooh. It's got to be with some car collector, and when they die, it will hopefully resurface one day. But that that is definitely a cursed vehicle. Cursed dragster. Well, that's it for this episode of Friday of the Friday the 13th. Yes, the Dead <laughs> TV podcast. Uh, we will be back in two weeks uh, with another episode covering two... Uh, another podcast covering two episodes of Friday the 13th the series. Don't forget, you can check us out 
on the Dead TV podcast uh, Facebook page. Oh, we didn't mention I own chains, you own chains. Uh, yeah, I, it's so common. Yeah, it's right. I, that was, yeah, just one thing I just want to make sure we didn't uh, skip over. Uh, one thing I want to make sure we never skip over is that we do have a Patreon page. You can go to Patreon, type in Radio of Horror, Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror, but I'm pretty sure it's under Radio of Horror, but the link is on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page. And it's also on the Radio of Horror Facebook page and the group for Supernatural Creatures and Lore. And make a donation if you'd like to become a sustaining listener for the Dead TV Podcast. Please, please also uh, remember to leave us a rating on iTunes, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you can. All three of those links can be found on every single episode of the Dead TV Podcast on RadioHorror.com. I, I had suddenly realized that none of the episodes being posted have the links to... Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. We've just been posting them on the website, but they're all now on the website. For every single episode, there is a link to those three sites. So if you don't uh, download it from our site and you download it from one of those, please do uh, leave a rating on one of those. There is something like 300 downloads for last month's uh, episode, or that was in June. It was it was a pretty big number for when uh, Jim Henshaw came on the show on Stitcher alone. So that was uh, really 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 great. But nobody left a rating or anything on Stitcher. So the numbers are great, but we definitely would like some feedback, comments, and other uh, things if you could. Um, and then you can find us on our individual Twitters at Chris D S A B and at Elegantly Kinky. Again, we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks everybody. Thank you.